Hello and welcome to The Solution, a wellness manifesto. I'm your host, Dr. Nate Lowenstein, and this is episode number four, Junk Foodie or Food Junkie. All right, let's get into it. We're going to go back a little more than 20 years to April of 1999 when CEOs of major food companies got together in the Pillsbury Auditorium and they were there to discuss an emerging health issue. And what was that issue? The dramatic increase in childhood obesity and in children being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes as well as showing the early signs of heart disease and hypertension. They were talking about children showing signs of chronic disease as a result of the foods they were making. They knew it, and that was the whole purpose of that meeting. In the meeting intro, a craft executive is quoted as saying, this is not an easy subject, and there are no easy answers. Understand that what he meant by that is there are no easy answers to the question of how to maintain high profits in the food industry while not causing further increase in chronic illness in children. The whole thesis of this show is that this is, in fact, an easy subject, and there are, in fact, some easy answers, but most of those answers will likely influence the profits of companies like these. It does need to be pointed out that the intent of the meeting was really positive. It was an attempt by some of these executives to engage this problem head on. You see, what was discussed in that meeting, what many of them understood right then, what I hope that you'll understand as we're discussing this today, are the similarities between the food industry and the tobacco industry. So how are those things related? Well, the tobacco companies were knowingly marketing a product that was highly addictive, that they themselves worked to make more addictive, and that ultimately resulted in sickness and death. Some of these food company executives had identified that they were also willingly making and selling products that caused disease and death, that some of their products were the fundamental cause of the problem, and that they would be better off by addressing the problem themselves and by becoming proactive. Some proposals in the meeting included industry-wide limits in certain ingredients like sugar, fat, and salt, and there were proposals on how these products should be marketed, specifically how they were going to be marketed to children. So what happened? Nothing. Profit won. How? One of the more influential CEOs in attendance spoke up and essentially said, people want what tastes good. These companies do offer what they consider to be healthy alternatives, but consumers buy what tastes good, and that's all that mattered. So there would be no curbing of potential harmful combinations of ingredients. There would be no push towards a more ethical marketing practices. There would be profit. After all, no one is making consumers eat these foods, right? So hopefully that question rings a bell. It's very similar to the case made by tobacco companies previously. People are exercising free will when they decide to smoke or when they decide to eat these foods. The trouble in both of those cases is this isn't necessarily free will. The problem with that argument is it's being influenced. These products are made intentionally to be addictive and are aggressively marketed even to children. Think about food marketing. There's no mystery to the fact that most fast food is not a healthy choice. So what determines a healthy choice, kind of like what we talked about last week, is a food that provides a good deal of nutrition in terms of micronutrients, so vitamins and minerals, as well as a balance of macronutrients, particularly protein. Fast food does not check that box. It really offers high-fat, high-sugar foods designed for overconsumption. So that's no mystery. Most fast food is not really a healthy option. But when we look at their marketing, 
what do we see? We see cartoon characters were used to entice children and then free toys were given as reward. So were you really making a free will choice or was that choice being heavily influenced by both clever marketing and food chemistry? And where did that get us? Well, we already know. We've talked about the numbers over the last several weeks in terms of obesity and type 2 diabetes. They have gone up and they continue to rise. So what is it about these foods that are so appealing? If they're so bad for us, why do we want to eat them so badly? Well, this is where science and food come together. Scientists and consultants are brought in to do something called optimizing foods. Well, what does that mean? It means that they devise several recipes for any given food. They have hundreds of people taste the food to determine something that they call a bliss point. And that is the point at which you experience the greatest happiness and satisfaction while eating it. They have customers rate everything from mouthfeel, texture, flavor. For chips, they even rate the ideal poundage needed to break the chip with either your teeth or your tongue. They literally rate everything about the food. And then they dump the data into a computer to determine what the ideal recipe is for a given processed food. This process results in a ratio of fat, salt, and sugar that isn't often found in natural foods. And when you consume this food, it will stimulate the reward centers in your brain, similar to the stimulus that happens when you take drugs of addiction. This is the key point. What the food industry is trying to do with these foods is make you happy. That's extremely important because things that make you happy cause that release of dopamine. Dopamine will make you want to do the thing that makes you happy again and again. This, in kind of a neatly packaged nutshell, is the science of food addiction and really kind of the science behind almost all addiction. Producers of these foods manipulate the flavor profile using those three ingredients, primarily fat, sugar, and salt, to create an experience for you that's hard to resist. So the next step has to be to remove guilt. Guilt associated with eating junk food. So now we enter a new type of processed food that makes it sound more like real food. So we have Instead of potato chips, we have pita chips, or we'll use granola bars or things that contain whole grains. Some products where they market with lower salt are advertised, but it's not specific to how much lower or really lower than what. One of the most successful products ever made is flavored yogurt or fruit flavored yogurt marketed to both adults and children as the healthy option. But if you look at these products, if you look at their labels, most of them are absolutely loaded with added sugar, even though they're marketed to us as the healthy option. And this was particularly obvious in the days of low fat. Most foods had added sugar to make up for the fat that was taken out. Another concept that was born to increase consumption is something called vanishing caloric density. This is pretty fancy terminology for this concept. And this is more of a feeling than anything else. If you, if I give you a crunchy, cheesy, puffy food or a thin, salty, savory chip, and what happens when you chew it is that it virtually disappears in your mouth before you even swallow, giving you a feeling like you haven't really eaten anything at all. So what's the outcome of that? Well, no guilt. I didn't eat anything. I'm not full. I've got plenty of stomach space to just keep on eating. So I will. The reward in the brain, along with the foods that feel easy to consume or overconsume, led to a massive increase in the amount of calories being consumed at any given time, at a time when people were becoming increasingly sedentary. The logical outcome of the equation is an increase in people being overweight, obese, having diabetes, heart disease, or cancer. One of the major culprits here is high fructose corn syrup. There are a couple of issues with high fructose corn syrup, and based on the time that I dedicate to each episode, it will be impossible to get into all of them. So I'll, I'll hit you with the highlight reel. 
Fructose is a sugar that's mostly metabolized in the liver that can't go directly to your muscle cells. And high concentrations have been shown in research to stimulate that dopamine response to a higher degree than other sugars, meaning this is exactly what food researchers are looking for. It's a processed sugar that makes you very happy, and if it makes you happy, you will want more of it. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad, right, Cheryl Crow? But if it makes you happy, then why the hell are you so sad? If you look at the foods that still contain high amounts of high fructose corn syrup, what you're going to find are foods that are high in calories and low in nutrients. These are the exact foods that are fueling obesity and disease and robbing us of proper nutrition. Some good examples are soda, salad dressings, ketchups and barbecue sauces, fruit juice, crackers, packaged sweets and desserts, granola and other health or protein bars, various nut butters and some breads. If you walk around the store and look at a product and it comes in a bag or a box, there's a good chance you're going to find some high fructose corn syrup in there. Something that's very important to understand about the standard American diet, which is the diet that most Americans consume right now, is that if you've been eating the SAD diet for any length of time, your palate is likely conditioned to these highly processed foods that are high in salt and sugar. I can't even tell you how many times I talk to people and they'll tell me that they don't like the taste of fruit or vegetables. But here's the thing. If your palate is conditioned to these unnaturally high levels of salt, sugar, and fat, you're probably not tasting real food anymore at all. Once again, from my own experience, one of my favorite things to eat back in the good old days was a Whopper with cheese, fries that I dipped in a combination of mayonnaise and ketchup, and I'd wash it down with a Dr. Pepper or a Mr. Pip. I didn't like many vegetables then either because I thought they were flavorless because my brain was being overwhelmed by those unnaturally high levels of salt, sugar, and fat. I promise you, fruits and vegetables are not flavorless. And if you start with the fresh fiber first and the 800 gram goal, I think eventually you'll start to see what I mean because these 800 grams should naturally kind of take over some of your snacking and the processed foods you might currently be eating. Another thing that we have to address yet again is the idea that fruit is somehow the problem because of fructose. Now, there are definitely health concerns with high levels of fructose intake that could likely fill an entire episode and we'll probably get into it down the road sometime. However, if you're eating a diet high in processed foods now and you start making a change towards whole foods using fruit as a bridge because you're used to the sugar in processed foods and fruit has sugar in it, your fructose consumption is likely to actually go down, not up. Along the way, you can experiment with different fruits and vegetables as you move forward and you may find that you like more of them than you thought you did and you need to remember, and this is important, Keep an open mind on this stuff. If you start with the prior credence that you don't like something, it's likely that you won't. And by the way, if you have kids and you say out loud that you don't like it in front of them, it's very likely that they won't like it either because they're learning a lot of their food habits from you. Now, if you are currently a diabetic or in the severe obese category, there may be other considerations you're working with. And as with any advice or information I deliver on this program, it's not meant to supersede anything coming from your healthcare provider. So ask them questions, tell them your goals, and work with them toward health. Your doctor should be excited that you're taking a proactive role in your health. And if they're not, you should find a different doctor. So in America right now, how much junk food are we really eating? How big of a problem is this? Well, I've read a lot of different statistics on sugar consumption, on fat consumption, particularly in the form of cheese. Americans, we eat a lot of cheese. And I've also looked at salt consumption. And if you look at the current statistics, what you're going to find is that consumption of all three of those things has been on a steady rise over the last several decades. 
According to current U.S. government health guidelines, three-fourths of the population right now is not getting what they consider to be enough fruits and vegetables, and that's really a number that's lower than the 800 grams we've already been discussing. So we're not getting enough fruits and vegetables as a whole, and only slightly more than half of us are getting the total amount of protein that we need, and this is really a problem as well. You see, protein is a satiating nutrient, meaning that it's the nutrient that makes you feel full. But when we're hungry, we typically will snack on sugar, salt, and fat, and that leaves us hungry about 30 minutes later. So what do we do? Well, we snack again. In terms of percentages, almost 85%, I mean, that's really, that's almost everyone in America doesn't eat enough uh, vegetables. That right there is a cause of a great deal of disease. Almost 80% don't eat enough fruit. Less than 60% get enough protein. Almost 70% of Americans are eating too much sugar and saturated fat, and 90% of us are over-consuming on salt. One of the things to draw out of that is, basically based on nutrition alone, almost everyone in America is unhealthy. We're a sick country. And now you can see exactly where that overconsumption is coming from. It's coming from those processed and packaged foods. The average American consumes just over 100 pounds of sugar every year. This is more than five times the recommended amount. So let me be crystal clear here. If you're eating a diet like this and you carry on doing that, you have no intention to be healthy at all. In fact, you're spending your money and buying and eating long-term sickness. You're literally feeding yourself cancer, diabetes, and heart disease. I also want you to know that how it got started is probably not your fault. Because what we know from this week's episode is that the food industry, very much like the tobacco industry has done in the past, is very aware that they are creating foods that behave like addictive drugs, that those foods are easy to overconsume, that they don't provide adequate nutrition. And that's the cornerstone of many of our health problems here in America and in Western countries as a whole. They know that and they don't care. They still want you to eat them and feed them to your kids, and they continue to spend a great deal of money creating advertising that will make you positively associate their products with your happiness, so you'll keep buying them and eating or drinking them. Sugar is obviously a big part of that problem, but it needs to be clearly understood. When I say sugar, I'm talking about added sugar in the form of high fructose corn syrup or sucrose or other sugar additives. So there's a couple things about added sugar that need to be briefly addressed. One... And the most important thing to get is that not all sugar is bad. We've already talked about fruit not being a problem over and over again. So here's an interesting quote from the Journal of Glycoscience. Uh, This dates back to 2002, but it's still pretty powerful. It has been proposed that many of the health effects now being targeted through the drug development process could be obtained more quickly and safely through nutritional intervention through the simple addition of sugars to the diet. Further, Consumption of fresh, unprocessed plant foods which contain free monosaccharides and polysaccharide fibers, that's sugar, is strongly correlated with numerous health benefits, including protection from diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. So we need these sugars that exist in our food, in our plant food, and they're important for several cell functions beyond just energy, including cell-to-cell communication. Okay, two, there are some trendy diets that make use of sugar alternatives that are apparently approved by those diets. For example, in the paleo diet, adherents may use agave nectar, honey, or maple syrup because they are natural. Well, often these products end up containing more fructose than glucose, 
and your ba- brain and pancreas do not differentiate between these sugars and table sugar or corn syrup. To your physiology, for the most part, added sugar is added sugar regardless of the source. Using the right ingredients, I can cause someone to become overweight and potentially diabetic or pre-diabetic with the worst versions of these quote-unquote whole food diets because you're allowed to overconsume sugar and fat. Three, it is often assumed that fruit juice, even if it is just 100% juice or you made it at home with no sugar added, is a healthy alternative to soda. And the science has really ruled against that. Often fruit juice contains more sugar than soda and actually contributes more aggressively to weight gain. Lastly, unfortunately, not all plant foods are created equally nutritious. Often plants must be harvested before becoming fully ripened. There's a lot of anecdotal stories in the literature about that so that they can be shipped without spoilage. On top of that, plants can only be as healthy as the soil they grow up in, um, which is likely going to be a topic for a different episode. But understand that the soil health is a big problem with regard to growing healthy food. Just like you need a healthy environment to thrive, the food that you eat also requires a healthy environment. Keep in mind that with this show, my goal is to take relatively complicated issues of physiology and nutrition and distill it into bullet points to drive the point home that all of us need to take better care of our health. I don't really want to get bound up or lost in the details. We need to see the forest, not just the bark on one of the trees. So today we've covered some pretty complex stuff, but the summary is processed food is created to make you crave it and overeat it. Overconsumption of that food is causing disease. Sugar by itself is not the enemy, but added sugar is, and that is what we need to be cautious of regardless of its form. Processed foods are now disguised in packages claiming to be paleo-friendly or gluten-free. None of those things automatically by themselves mean that those foods are healthy. We need to be very careful around food advertising. Real food is healthy. And what constitutes a real food? Well, if we're keeping it simple, stupid, real food has one ingredient, and that's itself. The practical advice for this week is a bit bigger, and for most of us won't be a simple step, but it is a crucial one. This one may take some time to implement, so as you get started, be patient with yourself. This step starts in the grocery store with identifying the products you're buying and choosing options that aren't full of those added sugars. Remember, whatever you put in your house, you will eat and possibly overeat. So your battle is won and lost at the checkout counter of the store. Start taking a minute to look at the added sugar in your food and try to take steps to reduce that intake by replacing it with something else, a lower sugar option that doesn't replace the sugar with artificial sweeteners or a whole food option that helps you get closer to your 800 grams. Briefly on artificial sweeteners, and I'm sure we'll cover this in a later episode in more detail, But they are absolutely not the solution to this problem. So definitely avoid those. Whenever you taste something sweet, your physiology expects sugar. And if it doesn't get it, that creates a problem of its own. Regarding your fruits and veggies, I do believe that the more locally you can buy, the better. I've also read in several places that often the frozen option may actually be healthier because there isn't a concern of spoilage in transport that comes with the fresh food. So that's also something to consider. If you're still working on fresh fiber first and 800 grams, don't get overwhelmed. We're only a few weeks into this process, so just stay there. Um, You can shelf the grocery store step for now if you need to and come back to it. Just keep taking your reasonable steps forward. Okay, that does it for this week. Uh, Hopefully you got something out of that. Next week, we're going to take a break from nutrition, and we're going to start to talk about one of our other pillars of wellness. This will be our first look 
into the think well aspect of wellness. I'm really excited for that episode and I hope you'll join me. Thanks so much for joining me today on The Solution, a wellness manifesto. I appreciate you being here. I hope that the information we covered in this week's episode was beneficial to you and that you can apply it into your life to help yourself move away from sickness and towards health. I'd like to thank my sponsor, Functional Performance Chiropractic and Wellness, for their ongoing support. And I'd like to appeal to you. If you know anyone who would benefit from the information we're talking about on this show, and I know you do, please refer them back to episode number one so we can all get started on the same page. I look forward to working with you and them. Until next week, take good care of yourself.